This film is lit, the podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. Legend has it, in the mystic land of Pradane, there was once a king so cruel and so evil that even the gods feared him. It's the Black Cauldron, and this film is lit. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books, and in this case, two books. Yeah. <laughs> Multiple books, <laughs> which we'll talk about here before too long. Uh, in fact, we'll talk about it in our first segment. We have every single one of our segments this week, so we're going to get right into it. If you have not seen or read The Black Cauldron, well, the book series, what's the book series called? The Chronicles, the Chronicles of Pradane. Chronicles of Pradane. If you have not read The Chronicles of Pradane or seen Disney's The Black Cauldron, we're going to catch you up. Spoilers abound in Let Me Sum Up. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. All right, strap in, because I'm summarizing two books, and a lot happens. The Book of Three introduces our main characters, as well as the world of Pradane. Taryn is an assistant pig keeper who dreams of honor and glory as a knight. One day, his charge, the oracular pig Henwin, becomes frightened and runs away into the woods. Taryn chases after her and bumps into one of Pradane's princes, Gwydion. Gwydion reveals that the Horned King, a servant of the evil King Aran, is on the move and he's journeying to warn his kinsmen. The two join forces to track Henwin, along the way meeting Guri. They are captured by men of the evil Queen Arkin and taken to her castle. Taran is thrown into the dungeon where he meets Princess Alanwe, who helps him escape. He also asks her to free Gwydion. They make it out of the castle, Taryn finding a magical sword along the way, uh, just as the castle collapses, only to find Elanwi had accidentally freed a bard named Fluter Flam instead. They presume Gwydion to be dead and take up his mission of traveling to warn the king about the impending danger, later joining up with Gurgi as well. Along the way, they stumble into the realm of the Fair Folk, where they find Henwin. They continue on their way, now with the dwarf Dolly as a guide. Eventually, the group com comes across the army of the Horned King marching towards their same destination. They make an effort to get around them, but Taran attracts the attention of the Horned King. Taran tries to use the sword against him, but is burned by it. Just before Taran loses consciousness, a warrior appears and speaks the Horned King's true name, which causes him to be burned to ash and swallowed by the earth. The warrior is Gwydion, who did not die when the castle collapsed. The danger now subdued, the group of friends returns to Caer Dalbin. The Black Cauldron picks up a few months after the events of the Book of Three. Prince Gwydion returns to Caer Dalbin, along with several other princes and kings, to hold a war council. 
His plan is to sneak into Iran's kingdom and take the Black Cauldron from him to prevent him from amassing an army of cauldron-born warriors. One of the princes in attendance, Eladir, is desperate for personal glory and picks fights with Terran, considering himself to be above the assistant pig keeper. Eladir, Terran, Fluter, Dali, and another bard named Adeon are placed on the same cauldron heist team, which further exacerbates the friction between Eladir and Terran. The plan goes awry when they discover that the cauldron is no longer with Iran. Alanwi and Gurgi join up with the group. While outrunning some cauldron-born warriors, they stumble into a fair folk outpost where the crow Kaw reveals that the Black Cauldron is in the marshes of Morva. Concerned about wasting time, they decide to go there themselves and retrieve the cauldron. However, Eladir abandons them in the night to pursue the cauldron on his own, and shortly after, Adeon is killed when they are attacked. Before dying, he gives his cloak clasp to Terran, who finds that it grants him mild prophetic powers. The rest of the group makes their way forward, eventually reaching the marshes and coming up against the trio of witches who own the cauldron. Terran trades Adeon's class for the cauldron, and the witches reveal that it can only be destroyed if someone willingly gives their life by climbing into it. While attempting to take the cauldron back to Ker Dalbin, it becomes stuck as they cross a river. Eladir shows back up and helps them get it out, but then rides off with the cauldron to claim the glory for himself. Shortly after, Terran and crew are captured by one of the kings of Prydain, who has already captured Eladir and decided to seize the cauldron and its power for himself, hoping to rule over the entire land. His plan is thwarted when Eladir throws himself into the cauldron, destroying it for good. All right, that's your summary for the books that are covered in this film. And now for the film itself. I am plagiarizing most of this from Wikipedia. just want to be forward with that up front. Terran is a young assistant pig keeper, but has dreams of becoming a famous warrior. After his pig Hig- Henwin throws a tantrum, uh, Dalbin, Terran's boss, I think, I'm not exactly sure uh, in the context of the film, uses Henwin's prophetic, I think he's like a, he's training with him, or like a, yeah, like a, basically. like a, what you like an apprentice, an apprenticeship kind of thing is what it seems like. Uh, it was a vibe I got in the film. Uh, Dalbin, uh, Terran's boss, uses Henwin's prophetic powers to discover that the evil Horned King is searching for the Black Cauldron with the hopes of using it to create an army of evil undead and take over the world. Also, we learned in the prologue to the story that the Black Cauldron holds like the spirit of some evil ancient person. And if you get it, you can use it to summon an evil army. Dalvin sends Terran to hide with Henwin to keep the Horned King from capturing Henwin and using the pig's powers to find the cauldron. Terran quickly fails as he daydreams about his uh, potential future as a heroic warrior, and Henwin is pignapped by dragons working for the Horned King. I don't know if they're actually dragons. I think they have a different name, but they kind of look like dragons. Terran follows the creatures to the Horned King's castle, where he meets Gurgi, a pathetic little creature uh, that wants to be friends with Terran and eat his apples. Terran finds Gurgi annoying and leaves him to sneak into the castle, where he is quickly, quickly captured by the king's forces and thrown into the dungeon. In the dungeon, he meets Princess Elanwi, another prisoner who is in the midst of an escape. The two abscond into the catacombs and discover an old king's burial place, and Terran takes a magic sword from the king's tomb. As they continue their escape, they team up with Fluterflam, the bard, and eventually outside the castle reunite with Gurgi. They continue their search for Henwin, whom Terran had thrown over the castle walls during the escape. The adventurers fall into a uh, the, the adventurers fall into a whirlpool that takes them to the Fair Folk's kingdom. The Fair Folks have Henwin under their protection and promise to send 
uh, Henwin safely home. Taron decides they must destroy the Black Cauldron, and the Fairfolk uh, King sends his consort Dolly with them as a guide, as the Fairfolk say they know the location of the Cauldron, which is the Marshes of Morva. Our team arrives at the Marshes of Morva, where the cauldron is being held by three witches. The witches offer to trade the cauldron for Terran's sword. He agrees, and after the deal goes through, the witches reveal that the cauldron is indestructible and can only be defeated by someone willingly climbing into the cauldron and sacrificing their life. The adventurers are then recaptured by the Horned King's men, uh, but Gurgi escapes yet again due to his cowardice. The Horned King uses the cauldron to raise his undead army, but Gurgi shows up just in time to rescue our heroes. Terran then attempts to sacrifice himself to stop the cauldron, but Gurgi stops him and takes his place, diving into the cauldron and destroying its power. The cauldron then, then consumes the Horned King and his castle, leaving the evil defeated. In the aftermath, the three witches return, and Terran offers them the inert cauldron in exchange for Gurgi. Gurgi is resurrected, Taryn and Elanwi kiss, and the four new friends head home. The end. That's the film. All right. We do have a guess who this week, so we're going to do that right now. Who are you? No one of consequence. I must know. Get used to disappointment. Okay. I believe that you can get all of these. Sweet. Its hair was so matted and covered with leaves that it looked like an owl's nest in need of house cleaning. It had long, skinny, woolly arms and a pair of feet as flexible and grimy as its hands. I would say this is this is Gurgi. That is Gurgi. Yeah. I, he's a furry little creature. Yeah, he is. So there you go. I, there's nobody else. I mean, I, there's no, I don't think there's <laughs> any other characters that even could be, really, that our, that our main character interacts with. She had, in addition to blue eyes, long hair of reddish gold reaching her waist. Her face, though smudged, was delicate elfin with high cheekbones. Her short white robe, mud-stained, was girded with silver links. A crescent moon of silver hung from a fine chain around her neck. Uh, this would be Alanwi, I think is how you pronounce that. Yes, it is Alanwi. He was tall and lanky, with a long, pointed nose. His great shock of bright yellow hair burst out in all directions like a ragged sun. His jacket and leggings were patched at the knees and elbows and sewn with large, clumsy stitches. I mean, I'm just going to assume that this is Fluterflam. I, I don't remember if that matches his description in the film. I, I, I remember the look of him the least of all the characters for some reason. He's just mm -hmm. like an older guy. Uh, there is no mention of his of his musical instrument in this, which would be a dead giveaway. But uh, I still think that's him because it is an older guy. And I think he does have like. Or sorry, this doesn't say he's an older guy, but uh, he is kind of tall and lanky. And I think he does have like a long nose in the film. If I, I just I can't for the life of me can't picture that character. Uh -huh. He's not in it a ton compared to. Uh, but even yeah. still, I don't know. I, yeah. But I'm going to say that's Fluter Flam. And it is Fluter Flam. I did leave out his harp. Uh, yeah, that would have been. Yes, that would have been a giveaway. That would have been far too easy. Okay, last one. Facing him was a short and rather plump little woman with a round, lumpy face and a pair of very sharp black eyes. Her hair hung like a clump of discolored marsh weeds, bound with vines and ornamented with jeweled pins that seemed about to lose themselves in the hopeless tangle. She wore a dark, shapeless, ungirt robe covered with patches and stains. Her feet were bare and exceptionally large. I would assume this is one of the witches. There are three in the movie. I don't recall their names. I think they say them at some point. 
I would say this is probably the main witch lady. Mm -hmm. It's it's one of the witches. It doesn't really matter which one. They're kind of interchangeable. Like, in what way? Like, they're like... How do I explain this character? They're kind of like a triple goddess. Like, Mm. they're three parts of one whole. Okay. So they they they're kind of like they 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 have three names, but they seem to like shift identities. Okay, I I, I think I see what you're saying. I think that makes sense. And yeah, that yeah, because yeah, they do have three names in the movie, and they look very distinctly different in the film. Like each of them, mm-hmm. like one is like taller and thinner, one is kind of larger. You know, they had they look different. Um, but I I couldn't I I couldn't tell you what any of their names were. In the film, so I didn't. I, <laughs> um, I can tell you their names later when I come across them in no, our notes. It's, it's, <laughs> it doesn't really matter, but it, but it is the wit. Yes, one of the witches or slash the witches. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Yeah, that was that was pretty easy. You were not, you were not incorrect there. That was fairly simple. All right. I have quite a few questions to see if we can figure out what was all from the book and what wasn't in. Was that in the book? Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? Always got to start with just the, the basic premise, the basic setup is there. Uh, it, and I'm talking about here in the in the prologue of the film, we get kind of the, the setup of there's this thing called the Black Cauldron where there was this old evil king monster guy, whatever, whose spirit got banished into the cauldron. Uh, and then now people are looking for it so they can use it to take over the world. This is nothing like Lord of the Rings. What are you talking about? Uh, and I <laughs> want to know if, <laughs> and I'm not like Lord of the Rings, the only story to do that, but it's just, I, yeah, I wanted to know if that, that sort of setup, that uh, the sort of initial kind of, you know, world building setup uh, mm-hmm. of the prologue was the same thing going on in the story. Um, no, not really. Okay. Um, it's true because it is a series of books. So. Yeah. So the search for the Black Cauldron is the main plot of book two, mm-hmm. uh, aptly titled The Black Cauldron. However, the plot is a bit different. So the main villain in the books is a Ron Deathlord. He's our Sauron. Okay. For explanations purpose. Right. Um, and he actually already possesses the Black Cauldron. Like, he already has it. Um, and Prince Gwydion, who's kind of our, our Aragorn character. Okay. Um, he, who's not in the movies in any no, way. No, he's not okay. in the movies in, the in movie, any way. Yeah. Singular, yeah. Uh, he uh, rallies Prydain's forces to try to seize the Black Cauldron um, so that uh, Aran cannot continue making undead cauldron-born warriors and, like, amass an army. Okay. Um, however, when they go to do that, they discover that someone else has already taken the cauldron, um, and Taryn and crew then discover that the cauldron is in the marshes of Morva. That's where we pick up with the second half of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's held by uh, the Enchantresses Ordu, Orwin, and Orgok. Yes, those are the witches we yeah. talked about earlier. Um, also, I should have said this uh, at the very beginning of the episode. I'm I'm really doing my best with the pronunciations. Um, I'm, I'm doing the best I can. Yeah, we're, yeah, they're not going to be perfect. <laughs> they're not going to be perfect. Um, so these three were actually the original owners of the cauldron, and they had lent it out to Iran, and then they took it back from him 
because he had kept it for longer than they'd agreed upon. Okay. So they they repoed it, basically. Um, and the cauldron actually doesn't have much of a backstory, at least in the two books that I read. So I, I don't mind that the movie gave it a bit of a backstory to explain its power. So we don't know where the power comes from in the books. It's just Correct. this kind of MacGuffin that yeah. gives, lets you summon like this evil yeah. army, basically. Okay. Um, the cauldron itself uh, comes from Welsh folklore, though. It comes from a story called Branwen, Daughter of Lear. Huh. The uh, cauldron that can like bring people back to life. Okay. Although I don't believe it's um, evil necessarily in that story. Right. And in this, yeah, it's definitely evil because, as like mm-hmm. I said, it's it's the it has the trapped spirit of some evil ancient. I think king. They I can't remember, yeah. but some some uh, evil ancient. Uh, and now according to according to the the Pradane wiki, the movie made it. Um, Aron Deathlord is like the oh, entity that's the in the implied, cauldron. Or, yeah. Although I would. I would have to watch the beginning of the movie again because I would swear on my life they said a different name. I didn't even think they said a name, but maybe they did. But I, I don't know. But according according to the Pradane wiki, okay. <laughs> that's what it is. Fair enough. So then moving on, we are introduced in the film to T- Taryn. Taryn? Taryn? I, I've been saying trying, it what both the ways. Uh, I think Taryn, they also right? said it both ways. Oh, uh, Taryn, let me check the uh, pronunciation I guide. Say, it does, the book does have a pronunciation book. guide. It does have a pronunciation, which was some help. Um, this says Taryn. Taryn. Okay, Taryn. we'll just say Taryn then. That's fine. We're introduced to him in the film. He is a, a, a an assistant pig keeper. He's working with, uh, what is that guy's name? Uh Dalbin. Dalman. Dalbin. Dalbin, uh, who's uh, some sort of magician, uh, enchantery kind of guy, but also keeps pigs, I guess. Uh, he seems to have some sort of knowledge of, you know, magic mm-hmm. or whatever, but mm-hmm. he also just like raises pigs. I guess maybe because in this universe, pigs can be magic, we, as we find out. But uh, is is Tarin our like main hero character? Is he our Luke Skywalker? Is he our Frodo Baggins? Is he our, you know, our protagonist uh, who has dreams of becoming a famous warrior? Obviously, that applies more to Luke. Luke Frodo does not have dreams of becoming a frame famous warrior mm. particularly, but just kind of gets thrust into it. Anyways, is Tarin our main character? Yes, he is the main character. Um, he's the protagonist of the entire series and he does start out as an assistant pig keeper with big dreams of seeking glory and honor yeah. as a warrior. Yeah. The, the beginning of this, you could definitely, I've definitely felt like I, it, you know, you can feel the, um, What's the the author with the the story? Um, oh, I just had it and I lost it. The guy who wrote the the book literally wrote the book on the hero's journey. Joseph Campbell. Joseph Campbell. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you uh, can feel the hero's journey yeah. pouring off of him yes. at the yeah. beginning it, of the story. About as, about as quintessential of a of a hero's journey type of protagonist as you could get. Uh, he's just walking around complaining about being a moisture farmer and buying power <laughs> converters at Tashi Station and whatnot. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. So uh, speaking of the psychic pig, I want to know if that, I assume this comes from the book, we're introduced to Henwin, who is the pig that, we only see one pig that they're raising. I assume they have more, but there's a single pig that we see named Henwin. Oh, I thought they were saying like Henry at first, and they're saying Henwin. Uh, who is a a pig that, that they're raising, but then we also find out that this pig is uh, they they say ocular, what is it? Uh, Orac- oracular, oracular has oracular abilities, uh, like you know, like an oracle can see things that you know normal people can't. I don't know if it's necessarily as simple as can like predict the future. I don't think it's quite 
Mm-hmm. Even in the movie, I didn't get the vibe that it's quite so simple, but it can see things. It can somehow kind of like see the future and see future events and that sort of thing. Uh, and I wanted to know if that came from the book and if there's more backstory of like why, you know, or like what's going on? Like, why is this pig psychic? <laughs> like, what's um, going on there? Okay, so Henwen, the oracular pig, is from the books. Uh, as far as I know, she's the only oracular pig. Okay. Though there's there's not like a herd of them. So she's literally she's, she's uh, one of a kind. The, the what you call it from Charlotte's Web. The singular she's, pig. That, <laughs> she's she's some pig. What doesn't that pig have a name in Charlotte's Web? Wilbur. Wilbur, that's it. Yeah. I just couldn't remember the pig's name. Same, whatever the yeah. I haven't seen Charlotte's Web since I was like three. So I don't. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so it's a singular pig who uh-huh. is uh, oracular. Yeah. Uh, she does have a little more backstory that I know of from the books. Uh, so we know that she was once before captured by Iran mm. um, and she was rescued from that situation before coming to live at um, Care Dalban. And we also know that she's uh, a bit older than an ordinary pig, um, perhaps immortal perhaps um however we don't really know like what her origin story is okay also to go back to welsh welsh mythology there is a pig character named henwin that appears in the welsh triads uh, but as far as i know that pig is not oracular okay and I, I just to kind of clarify my question here because i a lot of times with these questions with something like this when I'm asking if it's in the story and, and asking for expansion, what I'm interested in finding out is because in a movie like this, we don't have a lot of time to kind of world build, mm-hmm. especially in this. It's it's like the shortest possible movie. It is like 80 minutes yes. long. And we're racing through it. And everything is flying. And so I don't, you know, little details that would, would be fleshed out in the book. Basically, I was trying to figure out like, okay, is this a normal thing in this world that this pig is psychic? Like, or that that animals, like, is it very unique that this pig is psychic? Is it kind of uncommon but not unheard of that this there's a psychic um, animal? You know what I mean? Like, what is the world of this universe? I would put it at uncommon but not unheard okay. of. Yeah, that's what I was trying to figure out because yes. the movie doesn't really give you any sort of framework right. to know, like, you know, is this pig literally the only thing in the universe that can see the future? Like, is this mm-hmm. is this a chosen pig or or <laughs> is it like not uncommon for pigs to have like some sort of psychic ability or, or animals of some, you know, whatever? I read I read two books out of this five book series. And as far as I know, Henwin is the only psychic animal okay that i know of yeah um but magic exists in this universe obviously so yeah it could you never know it could be yeah yeah there there could be others it's just yeah and that's always a thing that i find really interesting like i said in in movies like this the same thing with like the last unicorn and stuff it's just you this movie did an okay job of world building and i and i i was able to go along for the ride but you just never know like, okay, I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know if this is a normal thing, if this is a, a, a unique thing. I just I don't know. It mm-hmm. seems unique because I gotta go hide this pig. And if there was lots of pigs that right. were psychic, you could just find a different pig. So I assume it's, you know, a fairly uh unique thing. But yeah, anyways. Uh speaking of hiding the pig, that's the next step of this is uh, uh Dalbin is like, hey, uh the pig they bring the, the pig like freaks out, has like a kind of freaks out and um 
Dal, uh, Dal, or uh, Tarin takes the pig in and, and Dalbin like has it do a psychic thing where and it, it sees the future by basically they use like a basin of water it puts its nose like its snout in the water and then you're able to see visions basically mm-hmm. in this in this basin of water and they see that the horned king is looking for the black cauldron mm-hmm. and this is what kicks everything off and after they see that Dalbin is like uh if he finds out about Dal or this uh, Hinwin or tries to get Hinwin if he gets Hinwin he can use Hinwin to find the Black Cauldron because of Henwin's power, so we need to hide Henwin, keep it secret, keep Hen- or keep Henwin secret, keep Henwin safe, uh, and we literally get the scene from the beginning of Lord of the Rings where Gandalf busts in and is like, "Here, gotta take it, go, and boom," and like yeah. kicks him out the door. And I wanted to know if the book was similar to that. Okay, so uh, I did a lot of comparing to Lord of the Rings while I was reading this book. Uh, I compared it to you out loud. I compared it a lot in my notes. Uh, And I will continue to do so because there are similarities and Lord of the Rings is going to be an easy point of reference for for you and for many of our listeners. However, this particular line and scene is not from the books at all. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Dalbin does not send Taryn away to hide with Henwin. The story proper begins when Henwin runs away from Care Dalbin because she senses the Horned King approaching and Taryn runs after her and then he bumps into Prince Gwydion, a.k.a. Aragorn, yeah. along the way. <clears throat> and it wouldn't surprise me, actually, if the the, you know, the... The point of origin is reversed in the sense that a lot of I, it wouldn't surprise me to find out. And I've never actually seen or heard this in an interview. I'm sure it's been said or discussed that Peter Jackson was a fan of this movie. Potentially. Yeah. As a, yeah. As a, as a young man or I don't know how old he would have been. When did this come out again? 85. Yeah, he would have been probably in his 20s. At least. Like, uh, yeah, he wouldn't have been a child when this yeah. came out, but he might have been in an age where he saw it and then pulled some inspiration because between. This that opening scene and some other stuff, and then a, a, a later uh, character, which we'll talk about here in a few minutes. There's definitely things that in the Lord of the Rings movies mm-hmm. felt like they were they they watched this, and there were some things inspiration pulled in moments. And I think this scene in particular, um, which does occur in Lord of the Rings the book to some extent but th- it felt i felt like i was watching the movie like the yeah. way he's rushing around the house and he's like gathering up stuff and he's like tells him where to go go hide here i'll come find you it's like the exact yes. exchange that happens between gandalf and frodo uh and i it was just so strikingly similar but like i said it it wouldn't surprise me to find out that that directionality is reversed kind of from what i was imagining mm-hmm. initially so moving on uh, the scene where we first are introduced to the Horned King in the in the film, who is the villain of this movie, uh, who is looking for the Black Cauldron. Uh, he has this big monologue about raising an army of cauldronborn, and he's standing over this giant field of skeletons, and it's this super cool scene, and he's got a great voice, and I wanted to know if any of this came from the book, because his introduction in the movie is very memorable, and also made me see why kids would have been scared to hell <laughs> by this movie. <laughs> so none of this is from the books uh the horned king only appears in the book of three which is the first book in the Mm -hmm. series and he's actually more of a secondary antagonist kind of to like he's the primary antagonist of that book but not the but he's not yeah he's not the big bad he's not sauron he's not voldemort 
whatever. He's Saruman. Not really, but yes. Maybe <laughs> the, the maybe, Witch King of Yeah, Angmar. the Witch King of Angmar is maybe a more <laughs> yeah. apt comparison. So, and in my opinion, the Horned King is by far the most interesting thing that the movie does. I think it makes sense to just have him be the primary antagonist. Uh, he's scary. He's striking. And since we don't actually interact with Iran in these first two books, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for the movie to spend time on that backstory. Yeah. Especially with the way they've like crushed things together. I also over like all overall, I like the look of the Horned King in the movie, uh, whereas in the book, he's described as like a hulking warrior who wears a helm and a mask that are made to look like a human skull with huge stag's antlers, which is still kind of cool. Still cool. Very cool. Yeah. That reminds me of something out of like Conan the Barbarian yeah. or something, whereas, yeah. which I guess this is a little bit too, but this is very much, he's like Skeletor or something. Yeah, like, he is kind of, like, he's a, he's a Skeletor, um, with like a, I was going to say Skeletor is a theater kid, but Skeletor is also kind of a <laughs> yes, theater kid. Yeah. Um, he's, he's like a, a, a posh Skeletor. Yeah. He wears like a robe. and Yeah. Does Skeletor not wear a robe? No, Skeletor wears like a, a, a wrestling suit. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I haven't seen. Yeah. That's a true. singlet. That's what that's called. <laughs> yes. But I, I do. I, I, I really like the Horned King in this. Again, I, his voice. And I, I didn't look up to see who was doing it. Oh, he's John Hurt. Oh, is that John yeah. Hurt? Wow. Incredible. He's so good. Uh, and he's so, it's just such a dripping, like evil. Ugh, mm -hmm. It's just dripping with malice. And ugh, it's great. And I love uh, I had a note that. His entrance, uh, so after, this is from later in the movie, but when uh, Tarin breaks into the castle to rescue, um, or to find Henwin, uh, he's, like, immediately captured by all of the Horned King's, like, guy, like, army yeah. or whatever, his human army, uh, who seems to be a band of, like, you know... The ruffians. Ruffians, miscreants, whatever. And uh, they capture him, and then the Horned King, like, comes into the hall... And it's such a good mo he knows how to make an entrance. There's all this smoke and like it's just fantastic. And his line is so good when he walks in. And I because I was wondering if that was in the book. He's like, I assume, boy, you are the keeper of this ocular pig. And it's just so <laughs> good. <laughs> I loved it so much. Uh, it's, it's, he's a great villain. And it's also an interesting villain, I think, for a Disney movie because he's by far the scariest villain in a Disney movie. Oh, I've yeah, he's ever very seen. scary. Yeah. Like most of the time, the Disney villains are intimidating, but not like horrifying. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked about this in a recent episode. Was it, uh, I'm trying to remember what it was. I think I guess, oh, I guess it was probably Robin Hood about how the, the king is like yeah. not, you know, he's kind of a, a buffoonish mm -hmm. uh, and, and comparing him to somebody like Jafar or whatever, who's much more intimidating. But even then, like, you know, even the scariest kind of villains of, of Disney from like the golden era, of, you know, uh, of Disney in like the 90s and stuff like Ursula or, or Jafar or whoever, uh, Scar maybe would be the closest to being scary just because he's like a lion <laughs> you know what i mean like i don't know but like he is just he doesn't have moments of levity in this movie no. like really like mm -hmm. in the same way that a lot of other characters yeah, do. like jafar's interactions with uh the the, the, the horn king definitely i think has more in common with like early era disney villains yeah than he does with like the disney villains of the disney renaissance yeah like he has more in common with like a like a maleficent yeah but yeah um, yeah for sure yeah 
Yeah, definitely. But even then, his character design is just so it's it's almost wild. It almost doesn't fit. And I think we talked about in the prequel about they had several different versions of the Horned King before they landed on this one. And, and, and I say he almost doesn't fit in the sense that compared to the rest of the characters, he almost looks like he's from a different property. Yeah. Like he almost look like I said, he almost like 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 Skeletor or something. He almost looks like he's from like a a comic book, like a like a horror based property. Yeah. As opposed to like a in a fantasy adventure in a way like that the like all of the rest of our characters are very fun and playful and even like the the bad guys uh, the cauldron born look kind of like him or whatever but like all of the the ruffians or whatever they're very cartoony they're cartoony yeah. like they remind you of you know any of the like the, the the thugs you would see in any Disney movie for the most part but he is just like completely apart from all these other yeah. characters as just this singular horrifying skeleton man. Who has the world's most terrifying voice? And I just no, very he's uh, he's a little too good for this movie. Yeah, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, then we are introduced to Gurgi, uh, Gurgi the whatever he is, uh-huh. which I want to find out. I want to ask about that. Uh, I basically want to know if Gurgi is from the books. Obviously, based on the guess who I know he is. Um, but what's Gurgi's deal? What is he? <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about Gurgi. Okay, so Gurgi is from the books, um, and you you mentioned while we were watching this uh, Gollum. Yes. So the thing I, I when as soon as he started talking, I was like, "This reminds me of something," and it, it took me. I couldn't place it, and I was like, "It's some character." And and then you're like, "Well, he kind of sounds like Gollum," and I was like, "Oh my god, no, that's not kind of. He sounds yeah. exactly like Gollum." And I don't know if you saw this anywhere when you were looking up. Uh, fun facts for the movie but on the wikipedia page for the movie i think it said that andy circus uses him as a point of inspiration for he Gollum. would have to have. yeah it's, i, I it's did not very see similar that. i did not see that anywhere but as soon as i heard it i was like well 100 percent andy circus and this yeah. is what i was talking about earlier with the other thing that those movies pulled from this is that 100 percent andy circus saw this character and did he just he's doing this voice yes he's literally kind i mean it's it's a, there's subtle differences and i would argue that i would say that andy circus's performance is is, is more fleshed out it's more yeah nuanced. It's, it's, it's more it's, elevated it's, it's a better and, performance but it's very similar yeah. to the the, the and, tone and gurgi is in my opinion a little more smeagol yes than Gollum. Yeah, yeah sorry yeah I, when i say <laughs> Gollum, i mean the entirety of that yes you're right it is more smeagol than Gollum, but sure the voice, the like the bubble in the throat kind mm-hmm. of thing that he's doing is exactly, oh, it's almost identical. Yeah. Um, so like I said, Gurgi is from the books. He does speak in a way that's similar to a Gollum, um, even without the vocal inflections yeah. that we noticed in the movie. Uh, yes. He always refers to himself in the third person mm-hmm. and he uses twinned or rhyming phrases like munchings and crunchings, uh, slashings and gashings. Yeah, yeah. even beyond the how the voice sounds, the way, the manner in which he talks is mm-hmm. very similar. Um, but that is mostly where the similarities end between the book and the movie. And if you're hoping to find out exactly what Gurky is, you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> I, I wasn't necessarily need. I didn't necessarily need to know exactly what Gurky was. I had a feeling it was just going to be like he's this little weird creature. Yeah. Like, okay. Fine. So the movie's version of Gurky kind of looks like a little dog, like he's yeah. like a little dog-like creature. Kind of, yeah. Kind of. In the books, he's more like a Sasquatch-style cryptid of some sort. Okay. Uh, he's human-sized and human-shaped, 
but he also has more like ape-like attributes, like he being covered in fur and having more flexible feet. Like I mentioned in his description. I mean, description. movies, Gurgi's covered in fur. Well, yes, but... Sorry, just the way you said it, yeah. I thought you were saying as compared to the movie. The movie Gurgi is covered in fur. Right, but this is in a way that doesn't look like a little cute little dog. Okay. Because to That's me... my point. Sure. Uh, to me, the thing he struck, he reminded me of is... I actually thought he was a little ape-like in the movie. To me, he reminded me of like a sloth. But like mm-hmm. a, a very agile sloth, mm-hmm. like who walks on two feet because he is bipedal and he yeah. occasionally walks on four feet. But he's like he can be bipedal. Um, I don't think he's too far off from like just based on your what you're saying here. That doesn't sound too far off. It just sounds like they shrunk him to me. They, they definitely shrunk him. They just made him bite sized. Um, so the movie's Gurgi, uh, in my opinion, pretty useless. Um, I th- I think he's definitely there because they wanted a cute character yes. to sell plushies. That, that's definitely why they shrunk him. They're yes. definitely like we want we want a tiny little cute animal so we can sell tiny little cute animal toys. Yeah, uh, book Gurgi is a skilled spy and can hold his own in battle. He knows wow. how to fight. Um, he's he's not useless. Interesting. Well, that he's not cute and not cuddly. Okay, well, then we'll definitely have to discuss that later because the whole arc of this film, oh, like the main character arc of this film, I would, well, there's two. It's Tarin and Gurgi. Yeah. And I, I'm really interested to see how that ending lines up with the book, with what happens with Gurgi at the mm-hmm. end, uh, finding out that he's not sort of this useless kind of, you know, goofball that he is in the yeah. movie. Uh, I'm interested to see how the end of the movie plays out in comparison. Or how the end of the book plays out in comparison to the end of the movie. Because, again, his whole arc in the movie is he goes from this useless little goofball to somebody who does something. So, anyways. Interesting. Uh, then when we uh, talked about it in the, in the summary, but Henwin, uh, while uh, Tarin runs off with Henwin to go hide him so that the Horned King can't find him, but he ends up uh, daydreaming about being a warrior and Henwin gets snatched by some dragony worm-looking things mm. which have some sort of name that i don't remember and i wanted to know if uh if, if henwin does get snatched by worms or dragons or whatever those are i think worms is right i think it the difference between worms and dragons has always been uh <laughs> academic at best to me like i yeah I, people call it different things. i think generally speaking i think it's about the front arms yes it is it's about the front arms whether or not it whether like, or not walks they're on it yeah yeah yeah, yeah or whatever uh i don't remember what the movie ones are so <laughs> I, yeah i can't remember <laughs> if they have arms or not um so henwin does not get snatched up by uh these worm dragon things yeah so the the worms are the movie's version of the books with faints <clears throat> which we do hear the Horned King call them yes. at one point in the movie. Yeah. Uh, but the Gwithaints in the book are actually huge birds of prey. Uh, they're like big eagles. Oh, okay. Um, and Iran uses so them. Or kind of. <laughs> yeah. uh, except uh, evil. Evil, yeah. Um, and, yeah, Iran uses them as his spies and his messengers. Um, and I, I totally get what the movie was going for by changing them to dragon like creatures, but I do think it ended up a little generic. I mean, yeah, they're just, they're fine. I, I didn't have any problem. They're just kind of, yeah, they are generic, but they're just. They're generic in a way that I thought was fine. Like, yeah, it's right. just evil dudes, dragons. I just think the book's more interesting. 
Yeah. No, I, yeah, I, yeah, I can agree with that. Taryn is then captured in the, uh, he, again, I, as I mentioned, he tries to break into the, uh, dark or the horned King's castle, uh, to find Henwin and is immediately captured because he's terrible. He's just a little kid who doesn't know what he's, well, he's not a little kid. He's like a teenager, but yeah. doesn't know what he's doing. He like stumbles off a ledge in the movie and is immediately captured uh, and thrown in the dungeon. But while he's in there, uh, within a pretty short time, a, a little trap door opens and Princess Alanwe shows up and she's like, hey, I'm getting out of here. Now nah, I'm escaping. <laughs> so you want to come with? Uh, and I was like, what is this woke garbage? I've been assured by many people online that back in the day that men used to save the women and not the other way around. But apparently in this movie, the woman is saving the man. And I can't I won't I won't stand for that. Uh, well, <laughs> but I want to know what. <laughs> guess what? It's even older than a 1985 That's movie. True. Yeah. Because the same thing happens in the books, uh, which were published in the 60s. Yes. Yeah, so is he rescued by Princess Alanwe and, and uh, from the dungeon? Yeah, he does. He ends up in a dungeon and he is rescued and led out of the castle by Princess Alanwe. There you go. Suck on that. Uh, <laughs> but I also want to know if this exchange specifically came from the book because I thought it was really good. Uh, when she shows up, Alanwe says, I'm Princess Alanwe. Are you a lord or a warrior? And Taryn's like, uh, no, uh, I'm an assistant pig keeper. And she's like, oh, what a pity. I was so hoping for someone who could help me escape. Oh, well, if you want to come with me, you may. <laughs> and then <laughs> leave, and they leave. And I, I love that. It's a great exchange, but it is not from the book. Mostly because Alanwe isn't there for the same reasons that she is in the movie. Oh. Um, so in the book, they are not in the Horned King's castle. Mm. They are in the castle of this evil queen, uh, Queen Akron. Um, and Alanwe, <laughs> no, it's not. Um, but I, I checked in the no, pronunciation I, I guide. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so Alanwe. Just for the listener at home, it's spelled like Archon. Yes. As, as written here. Uh, Akron. Yeah. Uh, queen Akron. And Alanwe actually lives there. And she thinks that she's there to learn magic from Akron. Mm. And you find out in a later book that this was a lie, but that's not super important right now. Um, but anyway, she hates Akron and she's always looking for ways to like undermine her. So she helps Taryn escape because she knows it's going to irritate Queen Akron. Um, and then she continues along with him because the entire castle collapses. Okay, so this is all this is all very different than the movie. They just yes. took this moment of them of her helping him escape and like juxt and and pulled it and put it into this. Mm -hmm. Okay, because as I say, yeah, that character's not in here. Uh, this castle does not collapse nearly mm -hmm. right now. I mean, it does eventually. It does eventually. But, but not 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 in this moment. <laughs> uh, uh, but as they continue their escape, they then run into Fluterflam. Uh, who is a, a an old man who is a bard and he's very silly. And I wanted to know if they collect a team in the same way and if one of those team members is Fluterflam the old bard so Fluterflam who has my favorite name it's a great name he is from the books he is a bard uh he does have a harp whose strings break when he embellishes on the truth oh I did not I did not get that from the movie I thought yeah. I mean because that's a pretty classic like moment in an animated movie like that just that like when somebody like a person I don't know. I feel like this is a classic kind of jokey trope. Yeah, in movie. like a like a little comedy, like beat. a little boing, like the spring yeah. just bursts, and it happens like once in this movie. And he is lying or saying I can't remember what he's doing in the moment when that happens in the 
Yeah. The movie. strings break when he lies or when he like exaggerates. Right. Yeah. I think, like I said, I think we only see it happen once in the movie, maybe twice. And I did not connect that that was why that was mm-hmm. happening. It just felt like a like a like a visual gag as yeah. opposed to like. An no, I, I do think it's really interesting, though, because I, I think it's really funny. The idea of like essentially like a bard who can't embellish on the truth. Yeah, I think that's really funny. It is very funny. It's <laughs> like their whole point. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, uh, like I said, he is a bard, um, but it's kind of similar to Gurgi. That's kind of where the similarities end. Um, so in the books, he's not old. Uh, he's not particularly cowardly. He is a little bit ridiculous, but in a different way um, than he is in the movie. He's kind of just like flamboyant. Yeah. Um, and over the top. And he is actually the king of a very small kingdom hmm. in Pradane, but he prefers to wander around and be a bard. Fair. Fair enough. So I think I would prefer that as well. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> well, uh, they'll, they continue their escape. Uh, well, at this point, I guess, I don't remember how they get, because it's only the two of them in the dun- in this tomb. Yeah, this and point. then while they're trying to get out of the castle is when they see... Fluter flam. Okay, I guess I just got the order of this slightly reversed. I don't know how I would have done that because I wrote these questions while we were watching the movie. I'm not sure how <laughs> I would have done that, but whatever. Uh, the So at some point during the escape, they end up down in these catacombs beneath the castle and they discover this old dead king's tomb and Tarin uh, pulls a sword out, like out of the clutches of this, this, this uh, dead king uh, and this thing has a mind of its own. It like flies around and can like fights people for him. It's also super magical. Well, beyond fighting for him. (laughs) It also like uh, one of the guards tries to like hit him and the sword blocks it and the the ax like explodes or whatever. Um, So it's a very magical sword. And I wanted to know if Tarin has the same magical sword that he steals from a dead King's tomb. Is that Arin's sword or not? Arin? whatever the evil, what is his name? Aron. Aron. Uh, so yes is the answer to your question he does take a sword from a dead king's tomb uh the sword is called dernwin the black sword okay and Tarin, like he does take it out of a royal tomb um it was thought to be lost like it it had disappeared into myth Mm. like the one ring right um and so he takes it out of this tomb as he and Elanwi are escaping the castle uh, but unlike in the movie, he doesn't actually use the sword during the events of the Book of Three. Alanwi actually takes it from him and won't let him have it because she recognizes that it's magic. And she's like, we we don't know what's up with this. Mm-hmm. It's It could be dark magic. It could be cursed. Yeah. Um. So you don't get it. I'm going to hang on to it. And not let you use it. Uh, and, and that ended up being a good call because uh, close to the end of the book, he does try to wield it in like uh, an emergency situation and it ends up like burning him. Hmm. Uh, they also have uh, an exchange that I really like as they're like leaving the castle and he's clutching the sword. Um, and Alanwi like looks at him and she's like, that's the sword the king was holding. And he's like, well, naturally, it should be the best one, shouldn't it? I mean, he's not wrong. Yeah. Not I mean, wrong. it was the best one, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wanted to know if uh, the Horned King, or I guess in this instance, now that we know a little bit more about who the villain of the story is or whatever, maybe this character is from a different thing. But in, in the film, the Horned King has like a second in command 
that is this little gobliny dude who's a little little gobliny guy uh, who's trying his best, but it just he he can't you know he keeps messing things up, he keeps bungling things, uh, and uh, the corned king always like you know tortures him uh, for his for his mistakes, uh, and I wanted to know if that character came from the book and also specifically there's a moment in the film where after he makes a mistake for like the third time uh he doesn't even wait for the horned king to punish him he just starts choking himself so that the king doesn't have to do it and i wanted to know if that gag came from the book because that made me chuckle in the film yeah so that character's name is creeper Mm. um and he is wholly a movie edition he's not from the books at all um and i honestly just hated him so much i nothinged him for the most part i thought the singular <laughs> gag really where he just... chokes himself i was like okay this reminds me of other disney characters i and, and i get <laughs> wanting to have a goofy little guy to be an underling for your your foreboding disney villain yeah. they do that a lot yes but i didn't find him particularly like entertaining or interesting he's definitely no uh what's his name uh the parrot from aladdin or yeah you know, he's definitely or like the the other one that i was thinking of um was pain and panic from hercules yes are kind of like similar, similar yeah, characters yeah, yeah. definitely um, not as interesting no. as any of those uh, what is the parrot's name in iago iago no Iago, no pain and panic for sure. Um, he's, he's the proto version of those. That's they, true. They That's refined fair. the <laughs> they refined the formula. Yes, before they got yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was a first. He was a first draft. <laughs> uh, there's a great moment in the film that I wanted to know if it came from the book because I thought this was delightful. Uh, is that there's this moment where they're escaping? Uh, I think they're in the tunnels or something, and they're using the sword, and she she basically says something about the sword and Tarin is like, uh, what does a girl know about a sword anyways? And Alanwe is just not having it and absolutely dresses him down in front of everybody. And it's amazing. And I wanted to know if that came from the book. She actually does that all the time in the books. Mm, Uh, Alanwe absolutely does not take Tarin's or anyone's bullshit ever. Um, so we had a patron, I think it was a patron, uh, over on Patreon who commented on our prequel post, um, about how Alanwi is one of the strongest female characters portrayed by Disney up to that point. Um, which I agree with. Yeah. Um, but what is also interesting to me was that if you're comparing her to like the Disney princesses that predate her, yes, absolutely. If you're comparing her to her book counterpart, don't get me wrong she's fine in the movie i liked her a lot in the movie but this particular scene is the closest that the movie gets to capturing what she's like in the book it's more consistent throughout the book i guess is what i'm saying Yeah, yeah yeah um also in the book she is an enchantress she can do some magic yeah she doesn't seem to have um she she has the little bobble like the glowing ball oh, right it doesn't really do anything which though, yeah the movie version of it is a little different in the book it's it's um it's a thing that like only she can do whereas i feel like the movie implies that it's like its own entity which is not really the case in the books anyway yeah. um she can also wield a bow and arrow 
Hmm. Um, she can hold her own. Um, I adore her. Mm-hmm. If we had a daughter, I would name her Alonly. It's a cute name. It's a, it's very a really good name. cute name. And I feel like I feel like then also we're getting kind of close to Aon without yeah. doing Aon. Without doing Aon, yeah. No, I and I I think I mean it's not the only time in the movie where she does that. Again, the the question I asked earlier about where she's like, "Hey, are you a warrior?" and he's like, "No," and she's like, "Fine, I guess you can come with me." Yeah, it's a similar and but th- but those are like the ma- maybe the only two moments of that that I recalled. Um, and yeah, she definitely doesn't have a lot of moments in the movie to kind of shine. Yeah, um, uh, like I, 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 I like her in the movie. I don't think the movie does a terrible job with yeah. her character, but, but just, I just think so much more in the there's book. so much more in the book, and her characterization is far more consistent across yeah. the board in the book. Yeah. And that's I think that would probably be true of all the characters just yes. based on the movie of what I from what I've seen of the movie. Uh and I have notes about this later, but that was definitely like it was both the strongest and weakest part of the movie, but we'll get into that later. So, does our uh, after they escape the castle, they then set off to try to find uh they're able Gurgi finds Henwin's footprints in the movie and is like, "Oh, maybe we I can we can follow this and we'll find Henwin." Uh, and it leads them to like a pond and then they get sucked into this whirlpool in the pond and sucked down into the fair folk world. I wanted to know if that came from the book because that was a, f- a fun sequence. That is actually directly from the book. I feel like that's the only time I get to say that. Um, but, uh, Taran decides to take a shortcut past a lake in the book three and they all get sucked into a whirlpool and they end up underground with the fair folk. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, no, I, I like that sequence, and I have notes about it later, but I also really liked the look when they were mm-hmm. in the Fair Folk, like the world underneath or whatever. Uh, I have a note about it later. We'll talk about them. Fair Folk tell them, hey, we know where the Black Cauldron is. Uh, it's in the marshes of Marva. Uh, you should go there. And then they send Dolly, who is like the king of the Fair Folk's like, ad- like advisor his, or yeah, something. Yeah, steward or something. Uh, he sends them with them as like a guide, basically, and he leads them to the the marshes of Marva or whatever it's called. And uh, when they get there, they find this ho- house that or like little hut that has a bunch of cauldrons in it. And then the witches show up and there are these three witches and, and they have possession of the cauldron. Wanted to know if these came from the book, obviously, based on the uh, uh, guess who section. They do come from the book, at least in some capacity. Um, but so there are the, the three witches. Does one of them fall deeply in love with Fluter? <laughs> and does Fluter get turned into a frog and fall into her cleavage for an uncomfortable length of time? Because, mm-hmm. man, that man, frog is uh... swimming in that cleavage for, like, a while in the film in a way that I was like, what are we doing? <laughs> uh so, yeah, you're right that these characters are from the book. Um, and I'm going to call them witches because I think that's easiest. But like I said, they aren't really right. witches. I think the movie calls them witches. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Which in the movie is also like they they don't get nearly as much like backstory yeah. in the movie. So uh, Ordu, Orwin and Orgok. Uh, are they're more like the fates yeah. from Greek mythology, well, that, and that's what the characters they reminded me the most yeah. of was the what you would call it, the like the fates from like Hercules, yeah, like the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. ones with the little scissors and the mm-hmm. blah blah blah. They reminded me of that a lot because because mm-hmm. they don't see they almost don't even seem to exist corporally necessarily. No, like at they, the end yeah. of the movie, they show up. They're just like in the sky in yeah. the film or whatever. Yeah, they're like, definitely like they're more like eternal beings yeah. that exist outside of the mortal world and just kind of watch. Yeah, yeah, um, they, cause, yeah, because they don't really have a morality. Like yes. when we meet up with them in the book, 
they they lent the cauldron to Iran right, so that like, he could whatever. use it, yeah. and they don't have any problem with yeah. that. They're like that, and Tar- and Tarin is like, well, don't you care about all of the harm that he's causing? And they're like, mm-hmm. well, care isn't really a thing that we experience. Yeah. yeah. Um. So they're they're like the they're the they're the same kind of vibe as like the yeah the the eternal. Like just again comparing it to Lord of the Rings, like the some of the the like elves or not elves, but like some of the um maybe not Lord of the Rings is the best comparison, but yeah, like the Fates or whatever. They're yeah. just like these these kind of separate. They're not part of the world necessarily. They mm-hmm. live in the world, but they're not really like part of the world. They're just kind of like hanging out, vibing, yeah, existing on another level. Yeah, pretty whatever. much. Uh, so nobody, uh, none of them fall in love with flute or flam. Uh, there's nobody stuffs them into their cleavage. Okay, disappointing. <laughs> they do initially threaten to turn all of the group into frogs, so that's kind of a fun reference to the book. Nobody turns into a frog, but they do talk about it. Oh, they they okay. Um, but I, I again, I just thought these characters were so much more interesting in the book. And I don't even think they're necessarily uninteresting in the movie. But again, I think they ended up feeling like pretty generic. I, I would to agree me. with that. That I hundred percent agree with. Yeah. They're the, in in the movie. They're just yeah. They're just like uh, yeah. They're kind they're of these like screechy, like a... ugly, stereotypical witches. They're also kind of reminiscent of a uh, Mad Madam Mim from The Sword in the Stone a little bit. Mm. And in the book, I found them very unsettling. Yeah. And I think they're like, they're the kind of characters that if an adaptation did it really right, like if we got somebody who really, really knew how to capture these characters, they could be like, it could be the type of thing that makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. I, I think you really nailed it by comparing him to the fates. That that also reminds because those it, it's been a long time since I've seen Hercules, but that that is a, a memory I have of that is those characters are creepy and yeah. weird in a way that is not that is is more off putting and more mm-hmm. memorable than these ones are. The, yeah. These ones are just kind of and, the, yeah, not even necessarily. These ones remind me more. These are almost like the Hocus Pocus witches kind of. Yes. like that's yeah. kind of the vibe you get from them. This is like they're just the kind of like hijinksy, strange like eccentric women <laughs> they're yeah. just like yeah not that we don't love strange eccentric women that are, around here that are horned but, up and um... <laughs> ready to shove frogs in their cleavage <laughs> or whatever is happening in that scene yeah uh, that did take me back to the last unicorn yeah. as well. Yeah, absolutely. I was like, what is, <laughs> what is, what this? Really, there was something in the water over at the animation studios in the 80s. They liked buxom lasses. And I mean, who, you know, fair enough. Just <laughs> seems like a strange choice for these movies. But uh, I, also, okay, so, and I guess you kind of talked about this uh, by saying that they just lent it out. But in the film, when they arrived there, the... the the witches or the these characters just have the cauldron, and I wanted to know if that was the same thing with the cauldron in the film or or in the books. And you've kind of explained that a little bit already, but I thought it was interesting and kind of confusing in the movie that these characters just have the cauldron, and all the fair folk know about it, but seemingly the horned king has no idea. Yeah, like it just seems like I was like, why is this? It's, it doesn't seem like it's a secret. <laughs> But right. Like, no, it, it the movie really does doesn't. not present it like they're keeping this a secret, but like 
for some reason the Horned King doesn't know and doesn't so doesn't go to try to get it or anything. And I was just wondering if that was at all similar to the book or what's going on there. Yeah, I, I really cannot account for that in the film. Because okay. um, like I said, in the books, uh, Aran had borrowed it from the, the witches uh, and they eventually then took it back from him during the events of the Black Cauldron. So our heroes don't know where it is. They have to figure out where it is. But presumably the bad guys know so the, or at so, least suspect that the witches have taken it yeah. back. So in the book, the witches do have it. Yes, they but, do. But yes, the villain would know they have it because they took it from him. One would think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And is... But so in the book, I guess the difference would be that he's already summoned his army, correct? He has some cauldron-born warriors. Okay. But it's a little more limited than what the movie implies. Because, like, first of all, they can't, like, go very far away from him. Like, the farther they get from him, the weaker their power becomes until they've just turned back into, like, a dead body again. Pretty much. Also... Whereas the movie shows like the Black Cauldron activating and then raising up an entire army at once, the implication in the book is that it's a um, it's a one at a time process. Oh, okay. <laughs> like you have to you have to dip each individual corpse uh, into the cauldron okay. to make it rise up. Yeah. So it'd be much harder to much more time consuming. Yeah. To raise an entire army that way. I do understand the movie's change there. For yes. sure. Of like yeah, having for sure. this big like spewing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, which we're, we're going to get to in just a second. But th- that's interesting. So so in the just to clarify, in the book, does Aaron or Aaron, does he want the cauldron back? Yes. And why? To make more to soldiers? To make more. Okay, okay. Yeah. he just wants more. And, and so it's a similar idea, but he already has had it once, wants it back to make more and our people are also trying to get it. The movie just kind of streamlines that into he needs it to make this army yeah. without having our yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. All right. I was just trying to clarify exactly the differences there. Cause I was a little confused. Um, but the black cauldron, after they get it in the movie, uh, the witches reveal that the only way to destroy that, they can't destroy it. Uh, the only way to, they say like stop its power mm-hmm. essentially is because it is indestructible is for someone to climb into the cauldron willingly uh, and sacrifice himself, basically, because they will die. They won't be able to come back out. Uh, and that will end the power of the cauldron. Is that how the cauldron is stopped in the book? Yeah. Um, in the book, you actually you can destroy it. Um, it's not indestructible, but the way that you destroy it is that somebody has to like willingly okay. climb in and sacrifice themselves. Yeah. The movie tweaks that, I guess, slightly because, yeah, it doesn't destroy it. It just stops it from doing yeah. It stops, stops it, its power, stops it from doing the thing. It ends its power, yes, is, or whatever they say. Uh, so does the Horned King, or I guess in the movie or the book's case, uh, Aran, uh, is he successful at getting the cauldron and raising his cauldron-born army? Because that sequence in the movie is cool as hell. We talked about it in the prequel that that was a big portion that they had to edit down quite a bit because it was too scary for kids and stuff. Uh, and I can see why, but that sequence is hella cool in the movie. Yeah. Uh, there's all this super cool green smoke that to me looked real, looked like practical yeah, smoke. Yeah, it looked pretty cool. That they were shooting like over a, some sort of like green screen or whatever and compo- or blue screen or whatever and then compositing in over the animation. Uh, it was like super vivid and vibrant and just very gnarly and cool. Um, but does does the black 
sorry, not the Horned King, does Auron or the Horned, whatever, does the villain trying to get the cauldron get the cauldron and succeed in making his army? No. Okay. No, he doesn't. Um, so I didn't mention he already had it, um, and he does, so he does have some, uh, they call them cauldron born in the book. They call them um, the movie, these, yeah. yeah, these cauldron born warriors. Um, but like I said, their power is limited. Yeah. And he doesn't have like an unending supply of them. Um, but by the start of the second book, his power is increasing. Um, and the danger of him having like a full blown undead army that actually can march across the land is very real. Hence the plan to get the cauldron away from him at the beginning of book two. Um, but he does not get it back before it's destroyed. Um, what happens at the end of book two is that they, they get the cauldron from the witches um, and then it ends up in the hands of this other king of Prydain that we met at the beginning, um, King Morgant. Um, and we, we met him at the beginning and I was like, this guy is trouble. He's sus. I don't like him. And I was right. Because then at the end of the book, he tries to take the cauldron for himself mm. um, so that he can have the power and take over the entire land. Um, but he is thwarted and the cauldron is destroyed. So we never see anyone actually raise an army from the dead. I, I do think that the scene in the movie is fun. And I liked that the movie used skeletons, uh, whereas the implication in the book is something more like zombies. Yeah. Yeah. Which also would be fine. Yeah, it would have been but fine. But I think, I think the are, marching skeletons yeah. with swords is fun. Yeah. Uh, so then uh, the cauldron is now spewing forth the cauldron-born army, and they need to... Uh, Gurgi has showed up and, and uh, freed our, our other uh, adventurers who were tied up in while the cauldron was doing its thing, uh, and they all need to escape, but Tarin is like, hey, I need to stop the cauldron, uh, and so he's going to throw himself into the cauldron. Uh, he climbs up onto this diving board. <laughs> It's like a bridge that's broken (laughs) or something. It does look like a diving board. Uh, Above the cauldron, and he's going to jump in, but the uh at the last minute uh gurgi shows up or climbs up and stops him and is like no and he has a great line and this moment could have been very good and i think it's okay as is mainly because it's just a good line but i think it could have been earned in a way that made this really hit and it didn't Mm -hmm. but uh, he turns to Tar- Tarin and says, Tarin has many friends. Gurgi has no friends. Uh, and then he throws himself into the cauldron. Or he has some other part. Or he says something else with that, but something along those lines. And so he throws himself into the cauldron, uh, sacrificing himself, um, which kind of wraps up his his cumulative story or character arc, which has been that in every encounter previous to this, anytime trouble has kicked off, he has skedaddled. He yeah. is. He is a coward in his own words. He's like, anytime something goes wrong, he just bolts and gets out of there and abandons, you know, the, the friends that he so desperately wants. He uh, he leaves them because he he's scared for himself. Uh, and in this moment, he overcomes that. And he, you know, he's like, I have no friends, but I can do this for you. Uh, and you can keep stay with your friends. And he throws himself into the cauldron. And again, were the moment built up better even mm-hmm. a little bit better i think this would be an incredible moment as is it's still okay does it come from the book not really um gurgi is not the character that does this okay. in the book there's a character in book two who is not in the movie at all his name is prince eladir and he is a younger prince from a minor kingdom and he's like 
a fifth son or something like ah. that. So he, he's got nothing but his title. Right. Right. And he is obsessed with gaining personal glory. Um, I think he was maybe the prototype for Zuko from The Last Airbender because he's always screaming about honor. Mm. Um, uh, so his whole arc is unlearning that, and that culminates in him sacrificing himself to destroy the cauldron. Similar to what we see Gurgi do in the movie, but not exactly the same. I think, uh, you know, it's also, he was the inspiration, at least, I mean, and maybe it's similar. I guess it's similar, because that's Prince Eladir's uh, arc sounds similar just to Tarin's arc. Is it, Maybe it's not glory, but he wants, Tarn wants to be this famous, yeah. fantastic warrior, and he wants this sword because he thinks it'll allow him to become this, like, famous warrior, and he wants to be this big, brave warrior, um, and his arc is kind of unlearning that, that he needs to do that, you know, or realizing mm -hmm. that he doesn't need the sword, doesn't need to be a warrior to, you know, to... Um, make a positive impact and stuff like that. And I guess this is, it sounds vaguely similar. It sounds, it's similar. That's also, to be fair, that's also kind of Tarin's arc in book one. Yeah. Um, so he just has it a little more figured out than yeah. Prince Eladir does at this point. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I could also see the idea that there's a slight difference where maybe Eladir is more like specifically like personal glory, want to make a name for myself. Whereas yes. I would say Tarin's is slightly less about like, fame and glory and more about like being a hero which yeah. is a slight difference uh, yeah but... it's a slight difference for sure but yeah um so so uh, so gurgit isn't is not yeah they basically just completely character swapped there that's all mm -hmm. yeah yeah interesting um does gurgi in the book have any sort of character arc or is he just like a companion hanging out you know what i mean does it, he have more, like a journey more like a on? more like a companion hanging out okay Right. Does is even the the whole thing with him like the of them all like finding him annoying and hating him and then growing to like him? Does that even Yeah, part of initially initially uh Taran does not really like him. Um but Gurgi kind of like proves himself to Taran as they're like journeying across the land and like encountering danger. So the okay, so interesting. So the it's a similar idea where, where Gurgi in the book proves himself to Tarin and kind of they become friends, I guess. Mm -hmm. Whereas the movie takes that and has that all be in this one moment of sacrifice. Yes. Proving, you know, that he is. And, and, and it's interesting. I don't mind the movies. I like I do like the movies, what they did with Gurgi. I, I just think that we didn't have enough time. I think. Uh, it, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I had a note about it in a couple questions here, but yeah, the ending falls a little flat for me. And I think it is because the relationships between the main characters don't really have enough room to breathe and develop. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, you know, at, at that moment of climax, it's a, it's a good idea, but at that moment, I just didn't care enough about their relationship for it to hit the way that the movie wants it to hit. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely, they needed a few more scenes mm -hmm. together in order to, again, I've said it six times already, but yeah, it's just, it's so close to being a great moment. It just doesn't quite get there. Uh, last couple of questions after, uh, Gergi sacrifices himself, the cauldron starts like sucking everything back up or whatever, kind of get like a, an arc of the covenant type of moment here. 
and uh, which I'm sure was at least some of their inspiration based on what's about to happen to the Horned King. The Horned King uh, goes to like throw, he's like sees Tarin near the cauldron and assumes he did something is like, you, you jerk, and I'm going to throw <laughs> you in the cauldron. And he goes over there, but then the cauldron just sucks the Horned King in. Yeah. And there's this great moment where, and again, I was like, I don't know how they got away with putting this in a kid's movie. The Horned King gets like all the flesh ripped off of his yeah. bones and he like, he just melts and gets stripped. And again, it's very like Ark of the Covenant in reverse, or I guess not in reverse, I guess just in the same. But, um, and he just like, he like melts and gets all the flesh sucked off his bones and then all of his bones get sucked into the cauldron and it's super gnarly and cool. Uh, and I wanted to know if that happened in the book. And also, what is happening here? <laughs> this is a note I have later. It was one of my main problems is that because the movie is so short and it's so like sl just slapped together, I was unsure of like what I should be rooting for to happen here or like what was yeah. happening. And if it was like, if we were win, I was like, are we winning? <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I couldn't tell like when the cauldron starts sucking them up. And then I, I couldn't figure out why the cauldron sucked the horned king in and not Tarin. And I was just like trying to figure out what the heck happened here. And I was hoping you could head, shed any sort of light on it. I regret that I cannot okay. because this doesn't happen in the book. The movie's cauldron lore seems to veer a little wild at the end there. And I'm, I'm not sure what exactly is supposed to be happening. Uh, in the book, when Eladir like climbs into the cauldron, it just like explodes. Basically, yeah. it bursts into pieces. Um, it doesn't like suck anybody into it or anything. I understand why the movie did what they did. It's sort of the classic, like you know, the big the big thing shooting the laser into the sky. Yeah, when you do whatever you need to do to stop it, it sucks right. in all the evil things in class. It's the yeah. Jumanji and board also game. like the, you know, also the classic Disney. The hero didn't actually kill the villain. Right. The the thing. evil thing that he yeah. created kills him. Yeah. yeah. And I, I get it. And so like, I understand why it's doing that, but I was a little confused at like, so, okay, so what is, why is it sucking him in? Why it seemed to be sucking, uh, Tarin in for a minute, but then it mm -hmm. just sort of stops sucking him in, and then just takes the the horned king. Perhaps it was satisfied I, with the I, horned I, king. Yeah, I guess that's what. Yeah, it was just very interesting. I wasn't exactly, and that, I guess that does make sense. If it was sucking everything in, and then the horned king gets close enough that he gets sucked in because he's trying to throw Tarin in it, but then once he gets sucked in, the the you know the the cauldron is like sated it's yeah. like okay got the <laughs> i'm full well and it's just like it got the thing that kicked all this off like the guy right. who started all this the evil has been blah 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 like I, I i can see that there's at least some vague you know hand wavy like magic explanation there that i can kind of get behind Anyway, so that all that and then uh, also the castle, they, they escape from the castle. The castle collapses, gets mm -hmm. destroyed by the cauldron as well. Uh, and then the cauldron, I guess, like, does it fly? I don't remember it how like, they end up with it. How did does it, get it to like them? burst back out of the castle? That's what I mean. Something? I thought it would like explode, like the castle yeah. explodes and it like, it like somehow it ends up it, on the it beach. It ends with up them. back with them. Yeah, it somehow it ends up on back on the beach with them. And the the witches show up in the sky. And they're like, hey, we want our cauldron. Or no, they don't want the cauldron. Do they want the do they want the sword? No. No, they have the sword. They they come in, they're like they want the cauldron. Oh, we'll That's we'll right. take this off your hands. Yes. And uh they offer the sword in exchange for the cauldron. That's yeah. what it is. 
they're like, we'll give you the sword back if you want the cauldron. And uh, this is where Tarin gets his moment uh, to realize, I don't need the sword. I don't want the sword. I want Gurgi back. And he basically barters. Uh, and they, they instead of trading the sword for the cauldron, he, cha- he trades Gurgi for the cauldron. Um, and Gurgi comes back. Uh, it's resurrected. Hooray, happy ending. Mm. Any of that come from the book? No. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Eladir's sacrifice does destroy the cauldron, like I said in the book, and there are no takebacks, so we do not get that character back. He's dead. Okay, I, 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 I was fine with this ending. I thought, again, I think it, it's similar to the sacrifice moment. It just needed more time. Their relationship yeah. needed more time for yeah. us to care more about it. Um, it's right on for me at least. It was right on the verge of working, and maybe if I was a little kid, it might have like it might have mm-hmm. worked well enough. If I was, uh, you know, <laughs> young, um, as it was, it just didn't quite land in the way I think the movie wanted it to, uh, which was yeah a little disappointing. Um, I I was mixed like because I do I I couldn't decide if I was like okay they're gonna bring Gurgi back. Mm-hmm. how do i feel about that like i knew it was gonna happen mm-hmm. before it even happened obviously they're not mm-hmm. just gonna kill this character um but i was thinking they should because like the whole point is it's a sacrifice right and yeah now I they get should it. not bring him back yes i will say i think the movie tries about as good as possible to to give us a good way of of doing that of bringing him back which is taryn has Taryn has to make this this choice of giving up what he wants and making right. his sacrifice. Yeah. And so his sacrifice brings back Gurgi. I get that. I think that works okay. And I also think that because the, the witches are so like sort of nebulously weird, powerful things that mm-hmm. like, sure, they might have the ability to, you know, to, to bring Gurgi back to life. It all, it all works okay enough. Uh, it wasn't like, I wasn't like completely like rolling my eyes at the ending. Uh, you know, it was just, it was just again, right on that edge of like almost tipping over to being good, <laughs> but just not quite. It's not quite <laughs> like it is like right there. I was like, oh, yeah, I can see where you're going for it. It's not, I mean, it didn't quite get there. All right. I have one question for Lost in Adaptation. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. Was a lost. Yes. Yes. And I want to get unlost as soon as possible. A lot of my questions were already kind of hybrid lost in adaptations, but uh, this one specifically was just one where I was like, I don't understand. Uh, I think I kind of understood it, but basically at one point when he has all of them, uh, when the Horned King has all of the, the our adventures captured and tied up when he's doing the whole, the whole cauldron thing, mm-hmm. he comes in and he's like talking to them all. And he's like, uh, uh, a pig farmer, uh, a scullery maid and a washed up bard, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wait, a scullery maid? Isn't she a princess? And I'm like, okay, maybe he's just insulting her. But the thing that was confusing to me was that he he accurately states the, the job slash titles right. of the other people. They are a bard and a, a pig keeper. But then he calls her a scullery maid. And I'm like, wait, is she? I was like wondering if I missed something or if there's some backstory that this was a reference to or what. Basically, I was just trying to figure out, or if it literally is just him insulting her, like, because she is a princess, and he's just like, ah, scholarly maid, like, whatever. I mean, I think he is insulting her, but it is a reference to something from the books, um, because uh, when Alanwi stays at Derek uh, Care Dalben, mm-hmm. um, which she does, like, in between the events of the book, she's just, like, staying there with them, and she does do scullery maid-type work. 
okay. while she's there. And then when Prince Eladir shows up, because uh, he's an asshole, he calls her a scullery maid to insult her. Okay, so it's definitely a reference to that stuff, but it, he's ju- he's just insulting her. Pretty it's, much, yeah. It's not like an actual, yeah. Because I was like, oh, maybe, and because I, I was, it made me think like maybe there's some deeper like story here of like, <laughs> yeah. oh, she's not actually a princess, like she was pretending that, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. I was like, maybe I some, don't know. some deeper lore that yeah. the movie just didn't go into yeah, at all. I, I was like, that could be possible, or like maybe something like I cut. Like there was more explanation of how uh-huh. she was like pretending to be a princess, but actually wasn't, and like he's calling her out on that. But no, no, she's actually a princess. He's just he's just being a jerk. So fair enough. He is the horned king, Skeletor dude. So all right. I'm done talking. It's time to find out what Katie thought was better in the book. You like to read? Oh, yes. I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. Okay, so right off the bat, the character uh, Dalbin, or Dalbin, not really sure, um, Taryn's boss, he is actually a combination of two characters Uh, one of which is named Dalbin and the other one is named Cole. And that's fine. I don't really mind that they combined those characters. But in the book, uh, Dalbin is described as very wizardly looking. He has like a long, voluminous beard. Mm -hmm. And I kind of wish they would have stuck with that. Does he not have a beard? No. Okay. He looks like an old farmer, basically. Fair enough. Uh, Dalbin in the book also has uh, he has a lot of sick lines right up front in the book. Um, but one of my favorites, um, and he's he's talking to Tarin about how he hasn't seen very much of the world yet. And he has to, like, experience things in order to learn things and, like, learn how the world is. And he says to him, you will very likely reach your own conclusions. They will probably be wrong. However. Since they will be yours, you will feel a little more satisfied with them. Yep. <laughs> this is <laughs> an eternally true sentence. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, Tarin, generally, I don't have a problem with Tarin in the movie. Um, they got his, his characterization is pretty close. He is um, impetuous. Uh, he's overeager. He wants to leave the farm and go do great things. Mm-hmm. Um I I thought though he was a little more stupid in the movie than he is in the book. Like he's he's genuinely pretty dumb. Yeah, in the no, movie. He's, he's yeah. I I wasn't sure what the heck his plan was in the movie when he goes rushing into that castle. Like, what he had in the none. World, and then he immediately falls <laughs> off a ledge. Well, yeah, because he, he had no captured. plan, yeah. no plan, zero thoughts. <laughs> yeah. I get why the movie cut like a majority of the characters that are in this. One cut that I really lament is um, Queen Akron, the evil queen. Mm-hmm. I thought she was really interesting. Uh, imagine uh, Galadriel if she were evil, like, yeah, genuinely so, so evil. Galadriel from that one, from the yeah, two from minutes the, in the from movie. The, yeah, from <laughs> yeah. that one scene. Yeah. But like all the time. Sick. I'm into it. I was into it too. <laughs> Um, Another place that they go in book one when they're journeying is this like hidden mountain realm um, where this guy called Medwin lives. And this area is a little bit like if Rivendell were run by Radagast the Brown. 
So kind of like Tom Bombadil's place. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, it's like it's like this idyllic hideaway that's like an animal sanctuary. Yeah, kind of like Tom Bombadil's cabin. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Um and so and they get there um and Medwin's like, oh, usually we don't allow people here, but we'll make an exception for you guys. Um and then he's like, we can't go in the house right now because there were some bears over for breakfast. <laughs> so you he's like, there were bears at breakfast and you can imagine the state of things. Yes. Is what he says. Um but then another moment that I loved in the scene is later on when they do eat. Um, they're eating like sandwiches or something. I don't remember. And at one point, Taran realizes that even though what they're eating tastes like meat, it's not actually meat. They're eating like veggie burgers, no. basically. Yeah. Um, and he's like, wait a minute, this isn't meat. And Alanwe's like, of course it's not meat, you absolute <laughs> dunce. Look around you. Yeah. Fantastic moments. When they go down into the realm of the fair folk, you have some notes about this later about liking the look of it. I do think the look of it is fun. I thought overall the scene was pretty uninteresting, though. Um, When they get down there in the movie, all of the fair, fair folk are just like tiny little candy colored fairies. Yeah. And it the, wasn't necessarily the fairies that I liked. It was like the rest of the ambiance of mm -hmm. the scene. But yeah. Um, but in the book, we have a lot of different like fae creatures represented. Mm. Like there are fairies and elves and dwarves and gnomes and like other things that Taran doesn't even recognize. Yeah. Um, and they have an interesting conversation with the king, who is a little bit of a different character than he is in the movie. He's kind of like a bumbling kind of a guy in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, like bumbling friendly. Um, in the book, he's colder. Mm. He's more like he doesn't want them there. More like reserved and like protective yeah. and kind of like yeah, yeah, for sure. Outsiders. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple of lines that I liked. Um, the king points out at one point, he says, Pradane belonged to us before the race of men came. So we're getting into more of those like like kind of Lord of the Ringsy themes yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and then Taran brings up like, well, Iran is he's amassing this army um blah 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 we have to warn people and the king says the fair folk will worry about Iran when the time comes and Taran's like the time has come so he's my good sir so he's he's Theoden yeah kind of. <laughs> it's like you're describing Theoden right now where he's like we'll worry about him when you know what a, what a, yeah we'll worry about it when he's on our doors and we're like motherfucker He's here. He's here. Yeah. I mentioned earlier the Gwithaints, the, the birds of prey that Iran uses as his spies. Uh, at one point in uh, the Book of Three, the group comes across a young fledgling Gwithaint that's uh, injured and like trapped in a bush. It can't get out. And some of them are like, we should kill it because mm. it's going to go. It's going to go tell Iran that we were here. He's going to know. Um, and he's going to, like, send his warriors after us. Um, and Taran is like, no, that's not right. Mm -hmm. So he frees it from the bush and, like, tends to its wounds, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then the the Gwithant does, like, leave. And they're kind of like, ah, shit. Yeah. It's going to go tell on us. Yeah. Um, but it ends up paying off later on. 
um, at the climax to the book when they're doing battle and uh, the, the cavalry shows up and it turns out that this Gwythaint went and told um, Prince Gwydion where mm. they were um, and basically betrayed Aron to yeah. help them because they helped him. Nice. So I thought that was nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, in book two, we meet a crow whose name is Kaw. I like that what because of course I do. Yes. Um, also, another thing that we see with the three witches is um, they're, they look like ugly old crones, but then they like look in the cottage at night and they appear as beautiful women hmm. at night, which I think is interesting. The movie doesn't do that, but it does have they do look different at several. Like there's a mm-hmm. moment in the movie where when we first see them, they look kind of like just women like they're they're they're, they don't you know they don't look as witchy and then there's a moment later where we see them where their faces turn more witchy i don't remember exactly the context of when it happens or why um so there's a little bit of it there but but they're never like you know it's it's not at all like what you're describing in the Mm -hmm. book i guess but there's at least maybe some allusion to the idea that their appearance changes Mm based on something. (laughs) and it's like it's another little detail that i think with the right adaptation could be just like really unsettling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And my last note here, because I feel like this doesn't fully come through in the movie, but I love that the main group is basically a and d party. You have a warrior, you have a magic user, you have a creature that nobody's ever seen before, a bard and a grumpy dwarf. It's truly perfect. There's no grumpy dwarf in the movie, is there? Dolly, the little fairy guy. He's oh, actually he's okay. a dwarf in the book. Gotcha. Um, and he is part of the group for most of the time. Yeah, yeah. You definitely you definitely don't get that as much in the movie. I mean, you definitely see them as kind of like a band of companions. Obviously, mm-hmm. was, they will literally walk into the sunset at the end of the movie to get like arm in arm. But um, but like like you said, uh uh Alinwi doesn't really use magic. Yeah, in not the, really in the movie at all. Um Gurgi obviously is Gurgi. The bard doesn't really do anything bard. Yeah, he has he his really harp at one point and like it, but he never plays it. I don't think, or you know, Mm-mm. he has it and like strums it once maybe, and then the string bursts when he's lying to one of the witches or whatever. Yeah, it, it definitely doesn't uh, kind of come together in the same way. There, there again, there's little bits of it, but I could I could definitely see how the book could do a lot more with it. So, all right, time to find out what Katie thought was better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. I like that we get to see more of Henwin's power in the movie. We see her use it once in the book, but it's not like particularly interesting. And part of that is the addition of the bowl of water that she like sticks her snout in and then you can see the visions in the book. She uses her snout to point to sticks with runes on them. And that's like how she conveys uh, okay. um, her Oracle. Yeah. No, um, making that vision more. Yeah. Visual making that more visual, I think it, it was a good choice. Um, and I liked the boat escape at the end. I thought that was fun. The boat escape. Um, when they're getting out of the castle and they're like on the boat and then the castle starts to collapse oh. and a wave like pushes them yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we talked about other stuff that I liked in the movie. 
during your questions, but these are really yes. my only two the, things the remaining that things were left yeah. in here. Fair enough. All right, let's go ahead and talk about what the movie nailed. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. Uh, there's a particular exchange and the movie uh, Taran has this exchange with Dalbin and the book he has it with Prince Gwydion um, and he says I, I do not fear him meaning the Horned King mm -hmm. um, to which his counterpart replies then you're a fool that's from the book mm -hmm. uh, Grumpy Dolly uh, he is grumpy in the book but he does end up joining the crew uh, initially as a guide yep. for them um, they do ultimately get captured by the person possessing the cauldron a different person. at the end of the story. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a different person. It's not the horned king. Um, also at the end of the movie, Dalbin, or, oh gosh, Fluterflam says, I wish I'd stayed a toad. Mm -hmm. uh, and I thought that was kind of a fun little reference because somewhere near the end of the book, Fluter uh, bemoans the fact that he thinks they would have been better off getting turned into toads. Yeah. Also, I mean, he, in the movie, he's just referencing the fact that he'd just be living in some boobs right now. True. That's what he's saying. I wish I'd stayed a toad. Just lived in that witch's cleavage for the rest of my life. But, oh, what a strange movie. All right. We've got a handful of odds and ends before we get to the final verdict. You mentioned it, uh, liking the using the like bowl of water for the vision for Henwin. Mm -hmm. um, I like that too, but I also really liked when they do that. When we get the shots of Tarin and Dalbin, the the lighting on their faces and stuff, I thought in that scene looked super cool. Yeah, like the way the like shadows and light, which this movie plays a lot with shadows and light in a way that I feel like some of the earlier animation like Disney stuff hadn't quite done, mm -hmm. or at least some of this like Robin Hood and stuff that we'd done hadn't didn't do anything yeah. like yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we're playing with like shadows and like intense lights and, and stuff that looks really cool. Uh, and part of that might be playing in like layering in with CG and stuff. I don't know. Cause again, some of the effects in this movie were CG or, or some rudimentary forms of like computer graphics and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I think there's some cool like technical and animation stuff throughout this film. Yeah. And I, I thought that it was kind of a shame the character designs overall I didn't think were very interesting. It's in, yeah, I mean, it's definitely not as interesting as some other Disney stuff, but mm -hmm. I think the characters were more interesting than, like, The Last Unicorn. Like, I thought that was... Um, but I thought this movie was just way cooler than a lot of the Disney movies that we've done recently on the podcast, like, from this era. Uh -huh. Obviously, from a little bit before this era, I guess. Uh, but like this, it, just comparing it to like Robin Hood specifically, but this movie has so much more grit and personality, like in the in the mm. animation style to me than something like Robin Hood does. Obviously, they're very different things. This is a much darker kind of. Yes. Yeah. You know, they're going for a whole different thing, but it's a whole different thing that I just find way more visually <laughs> interesting than, you know, than what Robin Hood was. Um, and I really thought that the. uh you know, and comparing it to like when we were when we did the last unicorn, I was talking about in that how like how cool and and sort of detailed and gnarly like the backgrounds were in the last mm -hmm. unicorn compared to some of the Disney stuff. But upon watching this, I was like, oh, okay, no, Disney did did that. It's just you know, like this this has the same sort of vibe that something like the last unicorn does. It's obviously very different. 
um, or not very different. It's obviously um, different enough that it's, it's it's very unique from like what the last unicorn looked like. But this was much more interesting. I, f- I had a much m- better time watching this than like Robin Hood or whatever, like in terms of like visually uh, of it, keeping my interest visually. I was mm-hmm. just like, this actually has stuff going on that I think is cool and, and unique and interesting. Whereas I thought like Robin Hood was kind of boring, like vis- again, mm-hmm. visually. Mm-hmm. That's not to say like story wise, which I, I preferred necessarily, but a lot more going on and way cooler than some of the other Disney stuff. And even like Jungle Book, like, you know, just yeah. some of the, it's just, it, it's not that there's anything wrong with those. I just, I don't find them particularly cool or, or fun to look at. Whereas this I thought was like fun to look at, mm-hmm. even if the story was, yeah, <laughs> you know, well, mixed, which yeah. I have more details about here in just a second. Uh, when they when they do get into the back banquet hall, and we've talked about this already with the witch, but man, they loved buxom women animating buxom <laughs> women in the in the in the eighties. The, <laughs> the they get into that banquet hall, and there's like a woman dancing for all of the oh yeah the ne'er do wells, and she is she curvy yes curves for days yes She's thick with two C's. <laughs> like what is happening in these animation <laughs> studios? Cocaine yeah. <laughs> true as much as i do like alanwi i really did not enjoy the voice work for her i found her voice like very grating just something about it i didn't i had no i thought it was totally i liked her voice like i had (laughs) very interesting because i didn't even didn't even register for me that somebody might find her voice annoying i thought i was like "Eh, it's fine you mentioned this, but in the fair folk world, one of the things that I thought was really cool, and this is, again, kind of goes back to what I was just talking about, but the the backgrounds of the tunnels in that fair folk world, I thought were super neat. The lighting, like the lighting on the walls of the tunnel was like super subtle and they're like gently glowing. I thought it was super pretty. And they also did this thing because it were supposed to be in these like dark underground tunnels. I don't know what they did or how they did this or what, but they, they did something to the characters where they're like kind of washed out and darkened Mm -hmm. in a way that is, I thought did a pretty good job communicating the idea that they're in the dark without it being dark. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Kind of like grayed out. Yeah. Like in a way where you can tell there's not a lot of light in this environment, Mm -hmm. but it's not like overly dark. Yeah. to look at yeah which i thought was an, a clever interesting way to kind of do that i thought that was really neat and i also really liked uh, the, i would agree that the the designs of the fair folk weren't particularly interesting they're just kind of little glowing fairies but i did like the look of the way they glowed like the yeah. color and yeah like that's the, fair the vibrance of how they looked i thought was really cool and in contrast to the kind of washed out environment with the like glow i i don't know i just thought the aesthetic of that place while not like super inventive was like really well done. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it goes back to like that kind of like there's some interesting like technical visual effects yeah. going on in this movie. Yeah. You can that, tell they were like trying things. Yeah, it seemed yeah like. they were trying things, yeah. Um and it, it is kind of a shame, I think, that it just gets remembered as like the biggest Disney failure ever. Yeah. Because while it's not an amazing movie. I think there are some interesting things going on in it. Yeah. Uh, I will say, uh, and this is probably my biggest critique 
and it's kind of sums up my whole issues. Uh, and I have another a thing that ties in here in just a second. Um, is that this? It feels very similarly truncated and 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 rushing at a breakneck pace in the same way that the last unicorn did. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this, in the way that like I can tell, there's a lot more this to this story that we're just not getting, and we're just kind of rushing through highlights to get to the end in 80 minutes. Yeah, and it's one of those things too. With this one, it's like I don't know why they thought it only had needed to like. Kids will watch an hour and 40 minute video or like yeah. movie, you know, yeah. it can be an hour and 40, an hour 45. Like I get not wanting a two, two and a half hour long movie, but it doesn't have to be an hour and 20 minutes. You can make it a little bit long. And I think even just adding 15 or 20 minutes to this movie would have made a world of difference mm-hmm. in terms of being able to give us a few more small scenes with characters, um, which I'll get to here in just a second. Um, but I was saying, I did say that I, or my point with this is that it feels similarly truncated and, and sort of like glossed over in the way that the lost unicorn did, but I did find myself enjoying watching it more than I did the lost unicorn. And I think the main reason for that is that the characterization felt a little bit stronger. Mm-hmm. I liked the characters in this more than I did in the last unicorn. Like I just didn't really care about most of the characters in that very much. Um, whereas in this one, I felt like even though they're rushed and they're not perfect by any stretch and especially the inter, the interactions between characters could have used a lot more fleshing out again, which I'll talk about here in a second. I still think that the characters at their base are maybe they're so archetypal or something, something about them. I was able to like latch onto and, and enjoy the journey they were going on more so than I was in the last unicorn. Um, I still didn't really like either of these movies. Like I wouldn't say either of them are particularly good movies Mm -hmm. in terms of like being a satisfying story to watch. Uh, But I did enjoy watching this one slightly more than, than the last unicorn, just like a little bit, but they are kind of similar, I think uh, in, in adapting, you know, fantasy store, big sweeping fantasy stories into, into uh, (laughs) much shorter (laughs) films uh, and not doing a great job at it. Yeah. So, so it did it was similar. Um I was thinking about while we were watching this um another thing that people say about this movie is the how about how dark it is for a especially for a Disney movie. Yeah. Like, like you mean like thematically dark. Yeah, like dark. thematically yeah. dark. Um it's scary. Yeah. Right? And I was kind of thinking about that because there, there are a lot of Disney movies where very dark things happen. Um, that have like dark thematic elements running through them. And I think the part of the problem with this one is with most Disney movies, the charming aspects of them outweigh the darker aspects. And in this one, I think the dark outweighs the charming. There is charm in this movie, but it is like you said, is way far outweighed by, yeah, the darker kind Mm -hmm. of like grungier aspects of the film. Uh, because yeah, it, it, there, like there are moments that I really liked and found endearing, and 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 I did like Gergi. I, I I could see him being a polarizing character for people. Yeah, for sure. I can totally understand why that would be the case. I liked his character. I just wish we had had more of it. And that was my biggest problem um, with the film is that the big moments don't get enough time to breathe. And again, my biggest example that I already talked about, so I won't go into too much, is like Gergi sacrificing himself. You're supposed. You can tell these are supposed. To, this is supposed to be this big epic moment. At yeah, the end. this is the emotional high this is the, point. The emotional climax. And not only did we not build up enough to this moment, 
like that's one thing which is like kind of the main thing is that we didn't we didn't have enough of of Gurgi and um Tarin's relationship and the falling out and so I just don't think the movie did quite a good enough job building up to this moment but then on top of that which is maybe even a greater crime or or maybe a less understandable crime I don't know is that the moment itself is not big enough like it's mm-hmm. not it doesn't take its time enough like yeah. the moment where like the line where Gurgi says you know uh I, whatever the line about not having friends and him having like is a good line but all of that the whole interaction with him and Tarin up there on the diving board above the cauldron all felt like it played out in like 30 seconds mm-hmm. or less and I'm like this should be a big mo like I should this should the music should swell and the music does swell to some but like this should be this should be the moment in Lord of the Rings where Gollum and <laughs> Frodo are standing, uh, you know, at the, at the whatever, like, or Sam and Frodo are having their discussion in the fires of Mount Doom. And he's like, throw it in the fire, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. this should be the big moment. I should be, you should dwell on this. You yeah. should let this breathe. You should give us this big spectacle moment. And it just felt like it was just like, we got to get to the end of the movie. So yeah, like, we got to go, 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 go. Like, Racing immediately yeah. into the cauldron, sucking everything yeah. into it. And it's just like, it's like, so yeah, not only did we not build up to this enough, even when we got to it, we didn't give it enough time to be this big epic moment. And then on top of that, it's, it's, that's even compounded even more by the fact that I'm not even sure what the rules are or what the goals are. Mm-hmm. So I was unsure to feel about how to feel about the big moments. Like, especially at the end, I was like, are we winning? Are we losing? Like, Gurgi <laughs> sacrificing himself, I get, okay, that's going to destroy the power of the thing. But then after that, I was like, okay, but now what's happening? Yeah. He he just, he just stopped it, but, like, it's sucking Tarin in, but it's not. But then now the, okay, now the, now the Horn King shows up, but what was he even doing? Wasn't he going out with his... It just all felt like this weird... I was I was unsure in yeah. the whole like denouement of the of the big moment in this film of like what I was even rooting for to happen. Like I like it felt to me a little bit like they didn't know quite how to wrap it all up. Yeah, and and I think that just robs it of a lot of the catharsis that you're looking for. Is because I was just like unsure of. Uh, I think that's the thing. I'm like, okay, when do I know that our heroes have won? Mm-hmm. And I kept. Thinking maybe we had, but I wasn't sure. And then it kept going. Yeah. In a way that I was like, okay, but maybe yeah. now they've won. Well, and then and even, then the castle yeah, collapses. Even when the castle collapses, though, then the witches immediately show back up, and you're like, ah. And you're like, okay, so what? now that, what are they gonna do? And it just, I never felt like we had that moment where there, there should be this moment where, and, and you know, where the, where the castle collapses. And, and and maybe it doesn't have to be this on the nose, but it is a kids movie. It can be a, this mm-hmm. on the nose where the castle collapses. They get to the shore and maybe this did happen and I just missed it. And, I'm, and people are screaming at me because I you're like, idiot, this did happen. Where one of the people turns the other one and goes, we did it. Or so, like, and we get this like exhale. Like we, I needed yeah. this moment of like, oh, okay, we've done it. We've seen like something. And it just felt like it didn't, I, I just felt like it kept like kind of like, subtly dragging on and never giving me the catharsis I was looking for. And that was like really one of the things that at the end of the movie, I was like, okay, I don't, this is a weirdly constructed ending. I don't know. Anyways. Yeah. No, you're, you're right. It's a little (laughs) weird. It doesn't really hit. Uh, I liked the art and the credits though. Yeah. Yeah. I like the opening title. uh, Yeah. Like the kind of like a illuminated manuscript style thing. I thought that was cool too. Yeah, like I said, I liked a lot about this movie, and I didn't hate watching it, but it was just, yeah, 
Just not, not a not not a very well executed uh, a film overall in my opinion, but that's for Katie to decide in just a second in the final final verdict. Before we get to that, we wanted to remind you you can do us a giant favor by heading over to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Goodreads, any of those social media platforms. Like, subscribe, follow, do whatever you got to do to see our posts, interact with them, comment on them, tell us what you thought about the Black Cauldron, and we will talk about it in the next prequel episode. We will read your comments. We will give our opinions on what you had to say. We'll have a fun little back and forth. It's a ton of fun. Also, if you can do us a favor, head over to iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere, wherever you're listening to us. If you can give us a rating and a review, do that. Drop us a five-star rating. Drop us a, a nice little review. Uh, we'd really appreciate it. And then finally, if you really want to support us, you can head over to patreon.com slash thisfilmislit. Give us a, a few bucks a month. At two bucks a month and more, you get access uh, to early access, which means you get the episodes like the night before, usually maybe a little bit before that, but usually the night before they come out uh, and ad free if we were to ever have ads uh, and a couple of, I think that's the main two things. At the $5 and up level, you get access to bonus content where every month we put out uh, an episode uh, where we cover something that is not, you know, based on a book. It's just kind of whatever we want to talk about. Uh, last month we talked about uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire and this month we're talking about... Drop Dead Gorgeous. Drop Dead Gorgeous, which we need to do soon. Yes. Uh, so we'll be recording an episode on Drop Dead Gorgeous. Uh, but yeah, we do all that kind of stuff. And then at the $15 and up level, you get access to Priority Mac recommendations. If there's something you would really love for us to talk about uh, or, you know, for us to watch and do an episode on, if you support us for 15 bucks a month, you can recommend that to us and we'll throw it into our list as our schedule as early as we can. It'll still be a while, but it will be as early as we can get it in there. Uh, so yeah, those are all the ways you can help us out and support us. Were you going to say something? Yeah. Um, another thing that you get at all of the Patreon levels that we usually forget to mention is that we announce the episodes for oh, every yes. month. I always forget about um, that. In advance. That's so, at all levels. So yeah. Yes, at, at all levels. Level. So you can subscribe for $2. Um, and at the end of the month, we announce the next month's books and movies uh, and the bonus episode um so if you like to read along with yeah, us and you, you more time, yeah i want to have more time to read and get a hold of things um that's a great way to do that yeah also on patreon you get reading notes which we i always yes. forget about that too at every level where uh whenever whatever when we're reading we're making notes as we go uh, and we publish those reading notes on patreon so if you're if you're a big reader and you wanted to see what we were thinking while we were reading the book you can see our notes over there so it's another thing you get. All right, Katie, it's time for the final verdict. Now, uh, are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterwards. Here's what I have to give to the movie. Most of the changes that they made make sense on paper. The way that they attempted to Frankenstein the two books together makes sense. Cutting the majority of the book's characters makes sense. Having the Horned King stand in as the sole villain makes sense. Most of it makes sense. But it doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is because Disney tried to take a multiple book high fantasy epic steeped in rich folklore with a huge cast of characters and condense it down into an 80 minute film. The pacing is breakneck, the world building suffers, and the characters and relationships aren't allowed enough breathing room to fully develop. On the subject of the books themselves, I adored them. 
There are similarities to Lord of the Rings, and that's fair on two fronts. Uh, one, Lord of the Rings already existed when Lloyd Alexander was writing the Chronicles of Prydain, so he had probably read them. And two, Lord of the Rings also pulls from the same source material, the folklore and mythology of the British Isles. So there are going to be similarities. But don't get it twisted, they are different. I do think that this series would be perfect for anyone who loves the Lord of the Rings movies, but struggles with the density of the books. The Chronicles of Prydain hit all of the epic fantasy sweet spots without getting bogged down by extended descriptions of trees. But I digress. Not only are the books better than this movie, these books more than deserve another shot at a proper adaptation. And to that I say, get it together, Disney. Or somebody else. Somebody else could well, buy Disney it. currently owns oh, the they rights. Own the rights? Okay. But if they, they yes. could sell them to sell somebody. The I just want somebody I want somebody so badly yeah. to give this series a proper shot at yeah. an adaptation. And especially right now, with as popular as epic fantasy stuff is, I think it could go over really well. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I'd be very interested to see another adaptation of this. Because, again, similar to Last Unicorn, you can see the pieces. Um, maybe not quite in the same way, because I think, I don't know. But, yeah, I could definitely see the pieces, and I, I'd be very interested to see another adaptation of this. Katie, what's next? Up next, we are going to be watching a Netflix original movie called I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Is that a Netflix original? Yes, it is. Wild. I did not know that. Uh, we'll talk about this on the prequel. I'm looking forward to this one, but that, that's a, this is going to be a fun one. The, I have not seen this movie, but the things I've heard. Is that yeah, it's, a I, wild, I, it's a wild ride. Yeah. Um, uh, it is based on a book um, I buy. I believe the author's name is Ian Reed. Don't come for me if I got that wrong. Um, I think that's his name. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it sounds uh, very surrealist. Yes, uh, like I said, from what I know of the movie, it's it's a Charlie Kaufman film, which I this will be my first Charlie Kaufman film, uh, which I, day by day I reveal the fact that I, even as a film major, I've seen so few <laughs> of some uh, very, uh, you know, big movies that people are very surprised to hear that I haven't seen. Okay, in your, in your defense, there are a lot of movies. There are a lot of movies. Uh, I've actually, I've seen some of Eternal Sunshine, but not all of it. Anyways, uh, that yeah. So it, Charlie Kaufman uh, again. I'm very interested to dive into this because I've heard I've heard everything across the spectrum for this movie from people saying it's one of the best movies they've ever seen and super fascinating to other people being like, what is this garbage? So I I can't wait. Uh, but that's going to be in two weeks' time. We'll be talking about I'm thinking of ending things in one week's time. We're previewing that movie as well as getting all of your feedback and hearing what you all had to say about the Black Cauldron. Until that time. Guys, gals, non-binary pals, and everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And keep being awesome. Awesome.